Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. Hi everybody, a nice short one today. There were a few great call-ins about the white whale question asked a few weeks ago by Andrew Walter. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I will play his message at the top so that you understand. Uh, and yeah, there's some, some really good responses here and I wanted to get them out the door sooner rather than later. And I'll have a few words after. Hello, Ray. Andrew Walter here again with a real message rather than just a sort of snarky one. Um, I had an idea for an episode maybe in the future. could be something that, uh, well, an episode perhaps on games or game-related things that for whatever reason just seem cursed to not get to the table. Uh, for me, that's Tunnels and Trolls at the moment. I recently tried to run it at a con and got zero takers and tried to run the same material for uh, my normal player group and got three out of four players cancelling, I think. So, yeah, Tunnels and Trolls for me is the one that keeps getting away. Um, yeah, I'd like to hear from you on that topic. Thanks, mate. Bye. Yo, Ray, so you asked us to call in about our gaming white whales. And for the about the past decade, me and my buddy, our gaming white whale was Wrath of the Righteous, the massive Paizo adventure path, six big books. It goes from 1 to 20. It's the first Paizo adventure that goes 1 to 20. It throws on these 10 mythic tiers on top of all that. It's crazy. We both really wanted to play it. We could never find anybody to run it for us. Then I started running games, and I felt like it was just too much, right? Plus, when you throw in all my other stuff that I have going on, uh, with my vision and stuff. I was like, no, it's too much. I can't do it. Then finally, finally, this past year, with everybody playing online, I decided, you know what? I'm going to do it. It's been a rough couple years for everybody. You know, I'm going to get my buddy. We're going to find some more folks. We're going to run Wrath of the Righteous. And it's been awesome. So if you can get your white whale, get it. Peace out. Ray, this is Wayne Peacock. So the question of white whale RPGs. So mine has been DCC. I really wanted to run a mini campaign using this system, but dial back the gonzo while keeping the emphasis on random nature of the system. But selling my group on this has been difficult due to what I think are three issues. Promotion, the funnel, and the ever-present demon of expectations. So promotions. I recommended several DCC podcasts to my players, and this really backfired on me. Why? Well, the podcasts are dominated by DCC game masters who promote the game with tales of TPKs and body counts. Over and over again, the GMs would ask each other on these podcasts, so how did your game go last week? And the the metric that they used was usually a body count. I know this was meant as good-natured fun, because the DCC community overall is really great, but there are definite consequences to this. The DCC superfans forget that other gamers lack their context and, you know, language. The funnel. This may be related to the first problem, as DCC strongly encourages judges to kick off campaigns and demo the game with funnels. And a funnel can be great fun and even a great teaching tool. But once again, the funnel can be polarizing. But I think I have nothing but myself to blame for this. 
So I ran my group through a funnel, and while I know they loved aspects of it, they did not buy into this idea that barely surviving the meat grinder created a bond between themselves and their gong farmer PC. The last thing is expectations. I've been gaming a long time, and what the thing that has been constant is that my tastes change. Now, I am trying to stop using words like evolved or matured here. It, my tastes just change. I was once a big proponent of games like Hero and Fate, etc., but over the fast, past five years or so, I've kind of fallen out of love with playing or game mastering games about you know, expert PCs kind of marching from success to success. But I have friends who legitimately love these types of games and these kinds of characters. Now, that is not what a DCC funnel delivers at all, or maybe even DCC at lower levels. While I tried to model how fun it could be to lean into the failure, it was not as immersive an experience for them as it was for me, or I guess maybe can be. Now, likely my failure, this is my failure as a GM, and but I really think it's also a mismatch in gaming styles or experience. Well, I hope that helps, and looking forward to hearing your show. So there you have three excellent call-ins. I wanted to thank Andrew for the question and all three of you for the responses. Uh, let's kind of take them in order. First of all, the interesting thing about Andrew Walter's Tunnels and Trolls entry is that he then went on to make a small adventure for Tunnels and Trolls that looks like an excellent little starter adventure. I haven't read it yet, but I love the look of it. It's got a really neat little uh, 4x4 grid map where you can kind of each, each cell as it were is um, a bit like a hex and a hex crawl, uh, kind of a location uh, of interest. And it's called Fervorax in the Valley of Gleam and you can get it on itch.io. I'll put a link in the show notes, but uh, I'm going to read the description here. Fervorax in the Valley of Gleam is a tunnels and trolls adventure originally written for convention play. It is designed to move very quickly and allows low-level characters the opportunity to level up several times by drinking from magical fountains, then to tackle the evil sorcerer Fervorax and his pet lizard Griffin Scabby once they feel ready. Sorry, that was a parenthetical ad there. I didn't read it very well. Uh, featuring a lush hand-painted map of the play area by Andrew Walter, a crappy map scrawled in pen on a pink index card also by him, three new magic items, some lethal new monsters, an invisible castle, not pictured, crazy characters. This adventure uses the 5th edition TNT rules with a couple of very common house rules, whiz and spite damage, but is 100% compatible with the newest version of the game. If you're new to TNT, you can get the free version of the rules here. And it's got a link to uh, DriveThruRPG where they do have a, a free version of the rules. And uh, one of the things I like about this, he, he mentions the crappy map, quote unquote. Um, and it's a really cool little, um, like, what would you call it? A point to point style or a point crawl map of a castle on a, and a pink index note card. It's kind of all you need. And it, it, it feels like an artifact of a real game, which is a lot of fun. So I like that a lot. And I think it's pay what you want. If I, if I remember correctly, I think the suggested is $3, but you can, um, I think here, I'm going to hit the button here. You can actually pay nothing if you wanted to, but, uh, yeah. Um, but you can pay what you want. Uh, yep. So that's really cool. 
And then we go on to Joe. Joe has the Hindsightless podcast. Joe is an infectious personality, as you can tell by listening to him. I can't imagine that he'd ever have trouble getting something to the table once he gets behind it. But uh, um, yeah, so it's it's really, really fun to hear him talk about his white whale. Um, I can get that. The enormity of it, right, can kind of scare you away from doing it or the fear that you won't complete it or something. And, and it... Um, you know, it just takes the commitment, right? Uh, it's it's the old Nike just do it thing, which is the biggest platitude ever and kind of terrible advice. And yet sometimes all that it takes to get something done is the drive um, to bulldoze your way through it. And <laughs> and uh, and that's there's a lot to be said for that, I think, actually. Um, most things require that kind of, even, even when you set yourself up for a success, they require that kind of energy to push through. And Joe... Uh, has a great comment there, which is, you know, like, don't wait, just, just go for it. And I think, I think that's great advice. Finally, we get a, a bit of analysis from Wayne Peacock, which I really enjoyed. And it, it makes me think about things like um, first impressions that a game makes, right. Uh, and how it can make a terrible impression. And from then on uh, some people, um, most people in, in are, are, are hard to have a hard time getting over their first impressions. And some people uh, will not get over their first impressions. I know <laughs> I'm married to one of those people in some ways that it takes a long time. Uh, once my wife has formed an opinion about something, it takes a very long time to erode and chip away at that opinion to, to, um, to change it if, if you're ever going to change it. And uh, whether that's, uh, whether she's stubborn or whether she just knows what she likes and, um, you know, can determine that quickly. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. Uh, I don't think it's a flaw per se. Uh, she's not a, a non open-minded person, if that makes sense. Um, but it is funny, right? It's a personality difference. I'm, I'm a person that's probably on the opposite end of the spectrum where I can be too easily swayed back and forth on an idea because I'm fairly empathetic and I kind of entertain a lot of opinions and, and mull them over and see things from all sides. And, uh, but I'm also a fairly passionate person. So I can kind of argue, um, and grab hold of an idea and emphatically express it. Even sometimes when I'm not sure if I believe in it, I have to kind of hear what I say to know what I think, if that makes sense. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's pretty cool, but it does, it, you know, it is really important to think about the first impression you're leaving on players. If you want to sell a game, the pitch is super important. And that I suppose has come into relevance, uh, recently because, uh, there's a group uh, on Discord is where I've engaged with them first, but uh, there's also a forum called The Cauldron. Both the Discord and the forum is called The Cauldron. They're run by Yohai Gal, and they're kind of a new school revolution uh, community, meaning um, it's kind of uh, the best of old school games without the baggage of old school games, if that makes sense. And there's some principles for new school revolution games up. Uh, you'll highs put some up and I think they come from another post as well about, um, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll link the, in the show notes so you can read that for yourself self, but it's, um, kind of defining principles for the community. And they have recently picked up the Gygax 75 booklet and started working on it. I happened to catch them in their first week and got a chance to comment on all their work, which is really exciting. There's about a dozen people doing it and I uh, got sucked in myself. So <laughs> I decided to be inspired by my recent reading of First Men in the Moon and my love of Into the Odd to do a, um, a, do a little booklet I'm going to call Into the Yellow Sun. 
and it's uh, combining a lot of ideas from various movies. And uh, well, I'm going to say I'll specifically talk about my influences here, um, and I'll put a link up to my my week one notes. Uh, so. The week one bullet points for Gygax 75. Uh, first, get a notebook. I'm going to use Obsidian because um, it's expedient, it's electronic, and I want to learn more Obsidian. I'm really enjoying it. And so the practice will do me good. But normally I would grab a physical notebook and work in that. Uh, and then the next step is to develop uh, four to seven pitch points. So here's my pitch points. The first is uh, Into the Yellow Planet. A strange yellow star appeared in the sky some months ago and grew in size at an alarming rate. It's a rogue planet hurtling through space. Who knows how close it will come or what strange effects it might cause. And then I made a note in parentheses, motivations, scientific curiosity, treasure hunting, fleeing the law or debt, or dot, dot, dot. Get famous, save the world, publish a great story, look for God. These are all things that I think that um, are ideas that could get players hooked into the story, right? Number two, a marvelous invention. Professor Nitzworth has unearthed a gravity-repelling barge the size of a factory and plans to launch himself toward the rogue planet. Was the ship a device of the ancients or left behind by the star men? He has gathered chemical lanterns, nutrition bricks, and that's in the form of Rumgren's Red Cakes, which is a tie-in to one of my earlier uh, Into the Odd uh, scenarios. Oxygen generators and other wondrous supplies. Will you go with him? And then in parentheses, low comma high tech, no real electricity, absolutely no circuits or chips. And that's kind of the, one of the pitch points there. Number three, uh, there's only four of these, by the way. So if your ears are getting tired, you're halfway done. Number three, a strange new world, explore the yellow sun, uh, sorry, the explore the yellow planet and its bizarre flora and fauna, avoid the ire of the star cultist saboteurs, discover precious gems or resources and get rich, make a name for yourself as the first human to step foot on another planet, just be sure to make it back or it will all be for naught, oh, and don't touch that, parentheses, alien world sandbox, you know nothing, exclamation point. And then number four, protect the ship. The barge is your way, it, it, the barge is your home away from home and it is your only link back to earth. If something should happen to it or the resources you keep within it, it could mean a quick death or being stranded forever. In parentheses, spaceship as town. And that's kind of a reference to the rule set ask you to basically build out a, um, a little hex map of a small area of the world, a town for players to go back to, and then a dungeon for them to explore. And that's kind of the beginning of your campaign. And each of those is a week long exercise. And so for me that I have trying to push myself and, and uh, twist it just a little bit and try to figure out a, a, um, a couple little things that make it different. And one of them is that the, uh, the town is going to be represented by this landed craft and which means I'll have to, uh, that's why I made it the size of a barge so it could have uh, some areas within it. Right. And some resources uh, packed away within it. And so that will be uh, the quote unquote town for this booklet. Now uh, the next step and the, the really the final required step for week one is to create uh, I think I, I said again, four to seven, no more than seven sources of inspiration, right? So here's my sources of inspiration. The first one is Into the Odd, the RPG uh, by Chris McDowell. It's both a rule set uh, and a source of inspiration for me. Um, and then I described that a little bit. The second one is The First Men in the Moon, uh, the book. I haven't watched the movie yet, but JJ, my friend, tells me is, he remembers that as being really good. Uh, and it's a Harryhausen film, so I'm sure the visuals will be great. So I'm going to go watch that here shortly. But uh, the book was was uh, published in 1901. 
and it's a surprisingly decent, if uh, if somewhat unfocused story told from two different viewpoints, featuring normal, flawed human beings making a voyage to the moon. Uh, and on the moon, they continually face logistical problems as they encounter the wonder of the wonders of the moon's strange ecology and the creatures on it. The next one is Angry Red Planet. Now, I've talked about this movie before, and so this is an idea that has circled back into relevance. Uh, this movie is from 1959, and it features post World uh, War II scientists going to Mars. Everything as they step out of the ship is red and weird and dangerous, and it has cool visuals like a, a giant spider like bat or bat like spider, depending on how you want to think of it. Um, and one of my favorite things about this movie is that they put a red filter in front of the lens whenever they would step out of the ship. And and my intent for this booklet would be to, um, it's, it's really kind of more of a, you know, it's a scenario, but it's also going to be the corner of a sandbox. So it depends on how long you would want to stay on the world or how, you know, how many trips you make back to it. But um, in, in, in the Angry Red Planet, it's all red. I, I'm going to, you know, I chose a different color. So this is the yellow planet. I like yellow because it reminds me of, um, it's basically the color of madness from, from like 1920s, right? Uh, yellow wallpaper, the yellow sign, et cetera. And uh, so my idea would be at the table uh, to provide some yellow lenses for people. And whenever they step out of the spacecraft, they have to, uh, they have to put on their glasses to get, to see, you know, cause that's the, what the world looks like. Everything looks yellow. And so, <laughs> and I just like that idea of having a physical cue that separates the inside from the outside, right? From the known, from the unknown, the, the familiar from the alien. And so that's the third point of inspiration. The fourth is, uh, books by, uh, uh, Stanislaw Lim, who's one of my favorite authors, science fiction authors. Um, I particularly uh, focused on the book, The Invincible um, from 1964. And, uh, but I'd also list Eden, Solaris, uh, the Siberiad and others as being in, in there. But the cool thing about The Invincible and a few of the others that he writes are that they're amazing firsthand experiences of a totally alien world. Um, they're not always great stories, but they're always really inventive and kind of fascinating as a contact story, right? Like what happens when, when humans, uh, encounter something that's really beyond their understanding and how they try to make sense of it. Um, the Siberia doesn't really fit in that, but I named it just cause I love that book. It's, um, it's really a book about two robots who make other robots told in cybernetic fairy tales. Uh, I don't know how to better describe it than that. If that appeals to you, go read it. If it doesn't uh, avoid it like the plague, but it has, um, has little philosophical bits to it that I just, it's very cool. All right. Inspiration number five, last and first men, a book from 1930 by Olaf Stapleton. It has a, an, a massive scope to it. Um, something that, had not been seen before. It describes the history of humanity from the present across uh, and going forward across 2 billion years and eight distinct human species. Uh, one of which, uh, the first of which is our own. And then I um, referenced some other planetary voyage stories like out of the silent planet by CS Lewis and Lieutenant Gulliver Jones, his vacation by Edwin Lester Arnold, which is the book that, uh, that uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs totally ripped off to make, uh, princess of Mars. And, um, there's also a trailer, I guess, last and first men is going to be a movie. Um, it looks like kind of an artsy movie, like a Tartakovsky style movie. I think I got his name, right. The guy who did stalker and, um, Solaris, the first filming of Solaris. And, uh, but yeah, it looks really cool. So I put a link to that. And then, uh, my sixth and seventh are, are really kind of throw-ins, but, um, you know, I don't really need them per se, but the first one is uh, Doctor Who, 
the the uh, I've been watching as I've said before the first season, which is the early black and white stuff. It features some bizarre traps and aliens, and has kind of a sense of wonder about it that I like. And then Space 1999, um, totally off the mark from a tech standpoint, but it has some crazy episodes, and uh, I'm going to draw some inspiration from that as well. And then the optional. The optional homework for um, week one, which you don't have to do, but is a fun thing to do, is a mood board. So I made a mood board of images that kind of capture where I'm going and help me keep focused. And that was uh, my my week one. Um, maybe I'll talk about, I think I will. Um, I, it's, I will say this, whenever I say I'm going to do something, you have to take it with a grain of salt. I'm, I'm dreaming about the future. It doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to do it. I have unfortunately... Um, have the habit of like making purposeful statements like that and that not always following up. But um, I think it would be fun to, and I may talk about some of the other projects that are going on with uh, other people who are doing this Gygax 75 challenge right now. And if you want to join in, I guess it's not too late, right? Um, they're going to basically make Wednesdays their starting points each week. And so um, tomorrow is the start of week two. And, uh, if you want to get connected, um, I'll try to put a little, uh, it's a, it's a, I wouldn't call it a closed community. It's a welcoming community, but you have to kind of, um, want to participate in, in a good, in the good spirit of, you know, that community. And so, um, it's a, it's a softly, it's very softly gated community. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it, it, uh, you know, we, as, as most communities should be right. Like they should have some, they should have a little bit of a neighborhood watch uh, going and this one does. And I don't, I haven't seen any ugly side to it at all ever, but, um, but I would want you to, if you're going to get into this, I'd want you to join in good faith and um, I'll, I'll figure out how you do that. I'm not even sure myself how you get an invite. Um, I don't think it's that hard to do, but I'll have to go look at it. At any rate, that is what I'm up to right now. And um, some great call-ins, like I said, about white whale games. Uh, this is actually kind of one of my own white, white, white whale games. I'd like to play a non-steampunk, more serious uh, Verns and Wells style science fiction game. And I think Into the Odd is the perfect system for doing that. I described it in this, uh, in this sheet that I made as um, a pre-electric question mark, <laughs> industrial setting akin to a Victorian England, but with more strangeness, call it a post-apocalyptic 1900 England as if time has kind of traveled in a circle. <laughs> and I think that, I think that is, I don't know, maybe that describes it well, maybe it doesn't, but um, I'm kind of fascinated by Into the Odd and as a rule set, it works really well and it's very easy to make things for. So um, yeah, yeah, that's today's episode and I've talked long enough. So hope you enjoyed it and I'll talk to you again real soon. Hold on, hold on. One of these days I'll be able to walk out the door without forgetting something, but it's not today. <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I thanked some new Plundergrounds producers, people that have joined my Patreon in the last couple weeks. And those are Aaron Clark, Dennis Gaines, Nick McJanet, Stephen Robert, and Wayne Peacock. Now, I believe some of these people have been patrons before, but uh, they all re-upped their subscriptions this week. I also wanted to thank some departing patrons. Uh, I mentioned that I had restarted my Patreon. It's only a dollar a month, but... Um, 
I gave everybody a chance to cancel before I started charging, which will be in July. Uh, and so I uh, had some cancellations, which I expected. Um, uh, the last four were from Francisco Blanca, Brian Alperin, Jared Washburn, and I'm going to pronounce this uh, Coco Chloe, uh, but that's X-O-X-O Chloe. I'm just going to pretend those are um, like uh, Aztec X's, if that makes sense. <laughs> or would that be Chocho Chloe? I don't know. Um, I just want to say thank you to all four of those people for having been patrons in the past. And uh, I, I, do not in any way hold any grudges about anybody canceling the Patreon at this point, because I'm essentially restarting it and um, people are welcome to make sure that their pledges get canceled or to add as they like. And there is absolutely no, um, no judgment on my part, whether you want to be a Patreon or not. Uh, I think it's cool. Um, I really appreciate your support. I'm going to use it to buy gaming stuff that I'm going to talk about on air. So it's kind of circular. You'll, you'll reap the rewards, I hope. But um, I don't expect anybody to pay for this. It's a free podcast. Everything I do is free, I think, so far. That's true. And uh, in the past, I've charged for a few things, but right now I think everything is free. And I, I'm not really making any distinctions. I value you all whether you listen for free or whether you pay. But um, yeah, if you want to be a producer on the show, I'm going to start reading your your names off in July when I start charging you once again. But right now I think we have around 100 producers, which is really cool. And um, yeah, yeah. Next week, by the way, I'll be putting up my uh, Monster of the Month, which is a randomly generated monster. I, I, I'll pick a random generator out on the web or in a book and generate a monster from it. And then I'm going to draw it and describe it. And once I hit a certain number of patrons, I'll start adding stats for various systems. So that should be good fun, I hope. Uh, and now I will talk to you again real soon and look out for those rust monsters. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.